Welcome to the Barry Sachs Show. Thanks for joining me on the Barry Sachs Show. I'm Barry Cockroft, and I'll be hosting this podcast with guest saxophonists from around the world. We will be exploring the stories behind these great musicians with telling insights into how they got started and the ongoing development of their careers. Thanks for being here on this adventure, and please subscribe for a new episode each week. The details of each episode, including a transcript, the show notes, and any links, can be found at barrysax.com. Lars Mlikluch is a Swiss saxophonist, conductor, and educator. He was appointed a professor of saxophone and chamber music at the Music and Arts University of Vienna at the age of 26, and since 2015, he's the saxophone professor at the Zurich University of the Arts. Lars has performed throughout the world as a soloist with orchestras or in chamber music. He has been invited to teach masterclasses at many renowned institutions such as the Paris Conservatoire, the Conservatorium of Amsterdam, and leading universities across the United States. He has been on the faculties of the European Saxophone University GAP and the Arosa Music Academy. He was a jury member at many international competitions, including the International Adolf Sax Competition in Dinant, Belgium, and the Jean-Marie Londex Competition in Bangkok. Following his work as a saxophonist, he is now pursuing a career as a conductor. As such, he has appeared at Concert House Vienne, the City de la Musique Strasbourg, and the National Concert Hall Taipei. He is the artistic director and conductor of the MIT Saxophone Ensemble in Taiwan. Lars is the founder and artistic director of both the Vienna International Sax Fest and the Zurich International Sax Fest. Please welcome my guest today, Lars Mlekusch. Lars. <laughs> Good. Look, thanks very much for joining me this afternoon. I would love just to start with knowing about how you got started with the saxophone. Mm, I uh, thank you, Barry, for inviting me. Um, Saxophone was uh, not my first instrument. It was a, it was a recorder, piano, followed by clarinet. And then I played in a wind band, uh, sitting first chair clarinet. And then there was this uh, empty chair on tenor saxophone. And uh, so one day they asked me uh, if I would like to play the tenor saxophone. And of course I wanted to play the tenor saxophone. It's, it's golden. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that black thing. So uh, um, I, I, I started, uh, uh, we were renting a, a saxophone and I'm in a music store. I started uh, practicing it without having a teacher in the beginning. So it was uh, probably one year just kind of trying by myself, um, looking at some, at some finger charts and just trying to to make that thing work. And then, um, so I started playing in the band, in the wind band. And then um, at that time I was very interested in jazz. My, my, my parents listened to a lot of jazz music, rather like Dixieland and New Orleans jazz, rather like old um, style. And so I, I heard saxophone a lot, but of course that was all jazz saxophone. And um, I, I started playing jazz just a bit for myself and then later also had uh, some kind of uh, jazz combos and uh, so I had my first teacher maybe one year later um, who was not an actual saxophone teacher he was an engineer <laughs> and he also played saxophone in a wind band and so he was just kind of taking care of the, the young kids and, and trying to help them with the saxophone 
which looking back was maybe n yeah not the ideal situation <laughs> I would say and uh, I had to change lots of things when I finally had a let's say a, a real saxophone teacher who, who actually knew how to play the instrument which happened maybe two years later so that's that's the whole how the whole thing started yeah so what age were you then um it was uh, it was rather late um I, I would say uh, the saxophone maybe the first notes on the saxophone I played when I was uh, 12 I would say 12 uh, 12 13 12 probably yeah so does having an engineer as a teacher does that explain your love of precision <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think he was that influenced. Uh, maybe not, that was not his influence. There were maybe I don't know other other people more um, uh, more responsible for that. But um, no. So it was uh, it was it was okay. You know. I mean, he was uh, he was uh, uh, he loved music. He could somehow um, uh, uh, keep my motivation going and and all of that stuff. So for for that, he was good. Maybe not about. Uh, the perfect embouchure or whatever. Yeah. Did you have to fix things that you learned by yourself for a while? Did you have to fix those later on? Um, yeah, there was. There were some things. Um, like uh, I remember once. Uh, that was actually when I already studied, and uh, I, like once there was a master class. Uh, somebody coming in from from uh, from abroad, and and then. Uh, I think it was John Sampen, <laughs> and uh, and he was like, um, he, I, I play Berio, I think nine B, and then he looked at my fingers like, he, he, your fingers like, you, you know, you should really take care of your position. You know, I played a bit like like flat, like kind of you know, almost bent, you know, and not not like a nice round like fingers and like oh yeah maybe you're right and and he said like but don't look at my fingers because they're not a good example <laughs> and he played a recital later and i i noticed that okay so <laughs> maybe but still i mean he uh he he he, he saw it he mentioned it and then uh, i tried to change it and i i guess i succeeded but um there were a little few things about maybe embouchure but uh generally it was a it was not a disaster that i you know like learn like really bad things in a way that I had to change everything. And your first real specialist teacher, mm. who who do you consider that to be? Um my well my real first like first real saxophonist was uh he was a, a classical uh, saxophonist who unfortunately passed away um I think two years ago, he was a student of Ivan Roth and later of Marcus Weiss, who became my teacher later. And he played also in a quartet, which was called the New Art Saxophone Quartet with Klaus Pfister on the soprano saxophone. Uh, Klaus won the, I think, second prize at the Geneva competition um, in 94 or something like that. Um, and his, his name was um, Gerd Müller, so a German, a German guy. He was, yeah, he was a very like strict teacher, and uh, uh, I learned a lot of things with him. And later, I played uh, when I became a student in Basel of Marcus. I played a uh, quartet with him, with uh, my first teacher. So we, we did that for a while, um, actually, until I think until I, I I went to Chicago for my studies with him. So Marcus Weiss, he's uh, legendary. What? 
how would you characterize his teaching? Mm, I when, when I was a student, um, I could still see, uh, or at least guess, uh, the, the influence that Ivan Roth, his teacher, had on on him. So also that the, the methods we, we used some of his uh, his books, like the scale uh, books, and um, and uh, it was a maybe not a, a very um, I felt I felt like he really uh, he 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 adapted his teaching to every student. Maybe there was not like a, a very uh, like a very strong uh, system behind it, like that he would do with almost every student, like the same program. Of course, there was some technique uh, to do, but this was not something he was uh, overly interested in doing, which I totally understand. Um, so <laughs> it's kind of boring to teach scales. I mean, that's just, yeah, but, uh, it's an important part and, and we did it, but it was, it was much, a lot about music. It was not, I felt like it was not so much about saxophone. Yeah. So it was a, Marcus is a fantastic musicians and that's something he's, he's passing on, uh, to his students. And, and of course, uh, working with him, uh, was kind of, uh, opening uh, my uh, like the, the new the, the whole world of contemporary music, which uh, was uh, rather uh, something I was not familiar with uh, before that. So it 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 made me uh, kind of open up and and uh, very curious about about that and working with composers, etc. So this was a very important um, input that I I received from him. Yeah, how important was it for you to go to Northwestern? to study with Hemke. Yeah, this was a very, very important for various reasons. It, um, I mean, I studied in Basel, uh, which was maybe 60 kilometers from my hometown. So it was basically uh, very close. And uh, I, I, I had the, the desire to, uh, to go abroad or far away once uh, from home. <laughs> And uh, there were different ideas and options. I thought about Paris. I, I thought about Amsterdam. Like, and then, uh, but I felt like those are also a bit too close. <laughs> so I felt, no, no, I want to go further. And then um, I knew that Marcus also studied with uh, Fred Hemke. Um, and so I talked to him about it, about this idea. And... Uh, yeah, he was uh, supporting me and, and encouraging me to to maybe uh, get to know um, get to know Fred. And then uh, I went to a masterclass in Norway. Uh, I met him. Uh, I think I went there twice. And then uh, I applied to Northwestern for the master's program, a one-year master's program, and went there. And it was extremely important to be away from home, to uh, to be in a different country, different cultural uh, environment. Uh, to live in a or to live close to a big city, Chicago, um, which uh, we don't have in Switzerland, cities like that. Uh, so all of that and meeting people from all over the world, studying at Northwestern, uh, not just saxophone, like other instruments or other departments, and and of course, uh, last but not least, uh, the work with uh, Fred Hemke himself. Um, was uh, was always inspiring and motivating, and uh, he let me do a lot of uh, contemporary music also there. Actually, he 
he wanted me to do it, I think, because it was something maybe it was was not done so often at that time, um, uh, Northwestern. So uh, I guess he felt that it would be interesting also for the other students to to hear something new and new repertoire, also some European uh, composers that were maybe not so popular or well-known in the States at that time. Um, so overall, it was a very important uh, year for me to, to be uh, to study and, and to live in, in Evanston or, or Chicago. Besides the saxophone, people who step out of their home environment for a period of time, do you think that's an essential part of personal development? For me, it definitely was. And I, uh, I think uh, every, every student who has the possibility to do that should, uh, should do it. Um, Things also change because it's it seems to be much easier nowadays to to get those experiences. Like in Europe, we have this uh, exchange program called Erasmus, uh, which uh, allows people from um, universities or conservatories that are part of this program um, to to spend to spend one semester or one year at another school. Um, and and not lose any basically uh, time so they they would still uh, get the credits and everything um it's uh, it's part of their bachelor or master's program you can do that once in 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 either program um and uh yeah i think that's a, that's a very uh, a very good tool uh, uh for for young young people musicians to discover different environment, uh, different maybe approach to music also, um, be surrounded by different people and uh, different language. Um, yeah, I, I would definitely uh, support that and I do support it uh, with my own students um, to do that. And there's always some exchanges happening in my class also. Yeah, I was just thinking about your path there your first teacher learned with your second teacher. Your second teacher learned with your third teacher. <laughs> There's a very interesting parallel running through It's actually there. true. I never thought about that. <laughs> so I couldn't really get out of that. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's actually true. Um, yeah. it's, um, it could have been, I mean, yeah. teachers have a big influence, yeah. but sometimes you can follow the path of mm. um, your teacher mm. unknowingly. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Maybe I I wasn't really conscious about that. Um, and and I mean, I also when I returned um, to Europe uh, or to Switzerland after Chicago, I for maybe two years I took private lessons with Arno Bornkamp and Claude Delongle. So I I was not doing regular studies with them, but I I, I traveled to Paris and Amsterdam uh, and uh, and got some different. Um, ideas and inputs as well. So I, I was curious about other um, approaches maybe and ideas about the saxophone and music. You participate in this as well. There's a lot of masterclasses offered, particularly in Europe, with visiting artists rotating around. Um, people can take classes with you uh, at opportunities. Do you think the access to so much differing advice, let's say, or different perspectives is a good thing or can it be too much? Mm. I think that totally depends on the person, on the, on the student, how they can deal with uh, 
different kinds of information or um, if it, it, yeah, it can be for one person very uh, confusing maybe and uh, distracting and uh, irritating and, and another another can can take it and and like uh, try things and and then finally just yeah have his or her own um, um, let's say um, way of dealing with it but uh, that's true that there's such a huge um, um, offer of, of master classes um, nowadays um, I don't know if it's too much it's uh, the students have a lot of possibilities to choose from. Um, I myself, when I was a student, did not that many. Um, maybe I, I went to GAP uh, once. And then I did uh, those two times uh, masterclass with Hemke in, uh, in Norway. I think that's that's basically what I did. Oh, and once the, the saxophone week in Amsterdam. I think that was the first saxophone week that Arno uh, organized. Um and at that time, there were not that many, maybe, masterclasses as, as nowadays. So it was a bit more limited. Um, but as I say, I also uh, teach in some of those. I, I was teaching in GAP two years uh, and then um, various masterclasses uh, in Europe. And, and the one that I do every year, basically now for maybe eight years or nine years, is the one in, in the mountains, in the Swiss mountains in Arosa. Uh, which uh, I did at the beginning uh, alone. And now we are uh, three teachers with Tim McAllister and Christian Wirth, which I think is a really nice combination. We, we, we are like very good friends, but at the other, uh, on the other hand, we are very different uh, maybe players or we think differently uh, aesthetic wise also about the saxophone. So the students get like quite different maybe approaches and ideas. Uh, I love teaching, so that's why I, I keep doing those things. Um, and uh, and and then yes, and then finally it's up to the to the students um, if they want to take advantage uh, of of that or not, or, or or not if they want to try like to get a lot of different um, input inputs, or 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 they prefer to maybe not get lost in this kind of. Uh, 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 yeah, I kind of like to have too much information to deal with. Now, was it in America that you started being interested in conducting? Conducting was something I, I goes even further back. It was um, when I was in high school, I took conducting lessons in the, um, in this kind of wind band program, um, so I did a kind of some kind of certificates when I was maybe 16, 17. Um, and then, um, but, but I, and I never really conducted wind bands. I mean, occasionally, but I never, I was not so interested in, in going in that direction. Uh, but that was kind of the first step. Um, and oh, I also had a big band when I was 15 or 16, like, uh, I was uh, leading the big bands. I, was, I mean, you cannot really call that conducting, but I was still like having this big, yes, this uh, this band in front of me and playing Glenn Miller and Benny Goodman. So I play clarinet, saxophone, and a little bit of uh, shaking my hand, uh, more or less in the in the time. So 
that was maybe about my very first experience. Uh, and then uh, during my studies and, and maybe, yeah, let's say probably during my studies, I was not doing much of that. Um, rather conducting from the, the, the soprano chair in the saxophone quartet. <laughs> and then um, when, when I started teaching in Vienna and I had the, I suddenly had the desire to create this uh, saxophone ensemble, which I was not at all interested during my studies. Like I always wanted to play with different instruments, not with saxophone. I had a quartet, uh, but that was, yeah. The, the one in Chicago was fun. Uh, this one year experience, uh, great people. That was a lot of fun. We did some competitions and traveled and practiced or rehearsed almost every day. And that was a very uh, nice experience. Uh, but other than that, I was more interested in playing with cello or piano or percussion or electronics, which came uh, quite soon to have a duo with electronics. But um, yeah, when I started teaching, I felt uh, a need to, to do a saxophone ensemble. Also to give the students the possibility to uh, to play together in a bigger group, to do some transcriptions and also new music. And so then uh, kind of I formed this student ensemble and started conducting again. So that was maybe the first uh, after after a longer break, let's say, um, try again. And then founding this uh, other saxophone ensemble, the Vienna Saxophonic Orchestra, which was more uh, the idea of having a professional ensemble. And uh, there we did quite a lot of performances. And then um, I, I had a lot of fun conducting, but uh, but finally I realized I don't want to play as a conduct only saxophone ensembles. <laughs> it's quite limiting. It's, it's a lot of fun, but it's also limiting. Um, so uh, I'm now very happy and lucky that I... Uh, do not only conduct saxophone ensembles. So I work with contemporary music ensembles, which I played a lot uh, in uh, in as well. So with uh, groups in various groups in Austria. My my former um, soloist ensemble phase is now inviting me as a conductor, um, which is a uh, is great. I'm honored to do that and. Uh, I was very nervous for the first project to be suddenly like not sitting in the ensemble, but in front of my colleagues and it's a different thing. Uh, but it went well. I think after five minutes, I was quite relaxed and, <laughs> and we had a lot of fun and we traveled to Huddersfield, a contemporary music festival uh, <clears throat> uh, in last, last uh, fall and other performances follow now at Wien Modern Festival and, and others. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, there are sometimes uh, possibilities to conduct chamber orchestras or or also like bigger orchestras, uh, which I hope will still uh, become more. Uh, we will see. <laughs> What's the difference in preparation between playing the saxophone and conducting a group? Yeah. Let's say when I, uh, we will probably talk about that later, but when I re reduced my activity as a saxophonist and also the practice practice time, uh, I first thought, okay, what I'm going to do with that time now <laughs> that I practice less? Like, but but, but um, I immediately realized that studying and preparing scores is extremely time-consuming and it never stops. Um, I felt as a, as a player... Of course, we also, we can always kind of um, 
get uh, go deeper like in a piece and, and get to know the piece better and the technique but also interpretation there's always something we can we can improve or go on or um, explore and um, but um, I feel as a conductor when you study scores it depends on the pieces also of course and on the complexity maybe of the of the work but I feel like um, with in most of the time it's um, it's you, you never know a score well enough I have somehow this um, this feeling. There's always something more to know and and to see and to understand. And uh, so I spend a lot of time in uh, on my on my table just preparing scores with uh, with pencils or or color pens and uh, markers and 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 trying to analyze a in a lot, rather practical way to analyze the piece. This is done in your mind as opposed to an instrument. Orally, yes, you're not. I have a piano. I do use the piano sometimes. Um, I, I, it, it depends also on the piece. Sometimes it really doesn't make sense. If you do a spectral piece, um, <laughs> it, it doesn't help you at all. Um, if you do tonal pieces. It's also sometimes not necessary. Like if the harmonies are clear, what, I mean, then you feel like it's not so necessary to play it on the piano. Uh, and my piano skills are limited. I, I, I can play a little bit, but it's not, I, I'm not really good at score uh, reading or playing on the piano. Um, there are sometimes, there are some uh, occasions where I, I, I use the piano. I had to uh, uh, conduct a piece by Heinz Holliger, an early piece by him, um, for ensemble and singer and it was kind of uh, it, it, it was uh, not really dodecaphonic or 12 tone but a bit in, still in, in that tradition and I, I sometimes really had a hard time to, to get uh, my inner ear to, to really understand what's going on so I needed the piano for that too, uh, to get a better idea um, but yes it's mostly done just, just on, on my table and uh, with uh, yeah, score reading preparation like that. Yeah, and then so that's the first part, and then of course also did the whole uh, questions of, of of the gestures to use is is another thing. Uh, what is the most efficient way um, uh, to communicate with the ensemble or the orchestra, uh, which is is clear, which is. Um, uh, but also, if if, if required, express, expressive uh, enough. Uh, so that's something I, I also need to practice. Has conducting given you deeper insight into music that then helps your saxophone performance? I think uh, it was definitely um, a, a motivation to to think of maybe yeah maybe deeper about music. To I felt like when I played saxophone. Uh, repertoire. It de also depends on the repertoire. But um, when I played sonatas with piano, of course, I, I knew somehow what the piano is doing, but only somehow. Some pieces better than others. But but I felt I never really studied the piano score as as uh, precisely as I would do it now as a conductor and and like to really know what's what's really going on uh, in the orchestra or. Uh, in the different parts, and to get a, a really um, a, maybe a deeper, um, deeper um, 
or a stronger idea about the, the, the piece, about the structurals, about the form, um, which I think also influenced my, my, uh, my saxophone playing and definitely also my teaching. Mm. Now, can I backtrack a little bit about teaching? Because we established this little parallel th through your teachers. Is your teaching of your students now based on the work that you did with your own teachers or have you, have you developed a new direction? Um, I assume there are things that I do in my teaching unconsciously that are influenced by my former teachers, but I, I'm maybe not aware of it or always. Um, it, well, some, some things are just uh, like repertoires of it's, it's like some repertoire that uh, I did as a, as a young student is still kind of in my, on my list, like on top that I feel like, okay, some the students just need to do that. Yeah. Uh, not thinking so much about it, if it's really necessary or if there could be other pieces. Uh, well, sometimes I do it, but, um, so I guess there, there's some things I, I, I just, uh, I just, yeah. I just take from my, my former teachers, uh, other things. I just, I think it's normal that you get a lot of different ideas from your teachers, different approaches, and then you try to kind of find your own style and, and take the, let's say the best, <laughs> uh, why well, it's maybe not the right word, but to, 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 to try to find, a. uh, it's called it uh, to, to uh, yeah your own your own way your own style in 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 yeah maybe in taking the the most convincing things um, uh, of of the of your different um, teachers and and uh, and make it your own and and maybe not everything that worked for your former teacher works for yourself also. And and it, so it's a process, um, but I'm not so much thinking about that. Like thinking about what is my way of teaching. Maybe I should. <laughs> Maybe we just teach how we are. I think it's I. Yeah, I. I uh, when you asked me before about uh, my, my first teacher, Marcus. Um, and I felt like he didn't have this very strong, maybe systematic approach to, to teaching. And I, I think I'm quite similar in a way. Um, I try to, to take uh, every student uh, differently and, and see uh, what he or she needs most. And um, yeah, there are some things when we talk about technique that, that need to be done. Uh, but also some students come with already like very high level skills on that and it feels like okay it's not necessary to go through the whole program again and you can just focus on other things and um, and for 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 one student it's maybe more important to to kind of um to to, to open up their like um um musical i say uh um horizon or i don't know but to to explore new repertoire that they n didn't do in uh, with their previous teachers or or in, in maybe in the country where they come from it's uh, I have students from all over the world I would say they come all with a, from a very different um, background and um, 
but also I don't see my job to kind of uniform them and, and, and to put my stamp on, on every uh, each of my students uh, so that people would recognize when somebody plays a concert. Oh, he, he sounds like a Larson. I, I don't want that. I think that, that would be terrible. Like for me, I, I would really not, uh, <laughs> not appreciate that very much. Would you say your musical career has developed th through a plan or has it developed more organically? Um, um, no, there was no plan. There were some maybe um, ideas I had, some things I had in mind that I wanted to maybe do or achieve or uh, such. And teaching is one, one of it. So I always felt that uh, one day I would like to be able to pass on Uh, some of the things that I learned and that I, I believe in, I, I, I love um, to, to students. Um, and uh, the performing career, there was no plan for that either. Uh, I was not particularly interested in doing competitions uh, as, a, as, a, as a student. Um, so competitions were, were not... Uh, for me, like I would say they were not uh, for my career planning something I, I wanted to include in, yeah, in what I did. So it, it just uh, had to somehow work differently. Um, so I was from the very beginning interested in collaborating with composers and so that's what I did as a student a lot. And, and, and later on, I always find that I found that much more interesting than, than to uh, study um some of our repertoire, core repertoire, on and on to in order to possibly succeed in a in, in one of the, the competitions, and maybe that would help me to achieve something else. Uh, that was not really uh, what I was interested in. So um, the teaching part came along very early, rather unexpectedly. So uh, I was lucky to get this teaching job at the university in, um, in Vienna, the conservatory, when I was 26 or 27. So at the very beginning, I had uh, also a student who was a bit older than me, and, and uh, it was a bit, uh, a bit uh, not strange, but uh, unexpected situation. But uh, I, I, I loved uh, the, the possibility that I got to, to build up um, a saxophone class there. There was no classical saxophone class, so it was something I could really build up from, um, from from scratch, and uh, yes, and and uh, and uh, try out things. Also, it was a bit. Uh, it was a bit. Uh, I hope uh, my former students <laughs> are not listening to that. But it, there was a, a lot of maybe a bit of no a lot but a bit of trial and error also there was something i really had to uh, i had to experience i had to try out things and, and see how how it goes and uh, um so I, i was lucky to get that opportunity and and um it was always a very important part of of my uh, life as a musician the teaching part and i wouldn't yeah i i would probably at the moment i wouldn't think about uh, about stopping it like teaching yeah. <laughs> it seems like leaving vienna was a difficult decision because you overlapped jobs for a little while must have been crazy uh working two jobs but was it was it difficult to move on um 
Well, let's say first, uh, Vienna is, of course, Vienna is a, is a great city, it's a, it's a, especially the, for music. It has a long tradition, as we know. Uh, maybe sometimes a bit, uh, tr tradition can also be a bit um, hindering, like can be a bit strong in a way, difficult to, to move on, to, do, to try new things. Um, it's, it's a nice city to live in. Um, and I've, I first couldn't imagine uh, going back to Switzerland, like to live in Switzerland in my, my uh, home country. Um, and then when the professorship in Zurich uh, at the University of the Arts came up, uh, some people ask me, would you apply? I was like, I don't think so. I mean, I said, no, no I, no, I don't want to go back to, to Switzerland. But then thinking about it, I was like, why not? Uh, the school has a, has a uh, they just moved to new, um, a new building, a fantastic, uh, fantastic facilities. And uh, I thought, okay, give it a try. Just, you know, and it's always interesting to go through a, kind of uh, that process again um, to, uh, to yeah, to apply to go through hearings and and you have to play again. You have to teach in front of a jury. You have to interview, and um, it's always something uh, yeah, nerve wracking and exciting. And uh, so I did it. And when I got the job, I was uh, very happy, of course. And then, but also I thought, so how can I now? How can I do both? Or yeah, how how will I do that? And um, I started in Zurich. I had to reduce a little bit my contract in, in Vienna. And uh, I did both uh, for two years, a bit more than two years. And But at, at some point I realized this is not going to work out. Um, I could have done it probably if I would, if my teaching would just consist of just giving lessons uh, and maybe that's it. So that then it would work. But there's a lot, uh, a lot more than that. So uh, all the projects that I like to do with students, um, uh, also chamber music ensemble, interdisciplinary, uh, interdisciplinary projects, um, they take a lot of time. They require you to be there in person. Um, and to do that at two places, basically at the same time, is just not possible. So I was getting a little bit frustrated. Um, I felt like I would, I, I'm, I'm now at two places, but cannot really do my thing at either one. So uh, I realized at some point uh, I have to make a decision. So I, I, <laughs> I did and I, I decided to stop uh, in Vienna because I felt Zurich offers more possibilities uh, for students and teachers. Um, also, it's, it's nicely located in Europe. It's, it's uh, maybe even a bit more convenient than Vienna to travel. You can take the train to Paris. You can it's, it's like a, it's really the center of Europe, let's say. Even though Switzerland is not part of the European Union, but it's still in Europe. And um, yes, and also uh, my, my parents, are uh, they, they, they live not in Zurich, but not, not far. And uh, it's kind of a good feeling to, to be... Uh, closer to them uh, again and they're also getting older they're not old but <laughs> and um, so it was it was the right decision and finally I could just uh, uh, put all of my energy into my uh, the job and the work I do in Zurich so you've gone full circle you went as far away as possible 
and you've come back as close as possible. I never expected it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned composers. You've premiered a lot of works. You've worked with composers. How important is it for a performer and a composer to collaborate? Mm. Um, in, well, speaking of my experience, um, I had different experiences. Maybe uh, I guess sometimes it happened that a composer would write a piece for me uh, and there would not be any, let's say, communication happening before or any back and forth or any no exchange of ideas. So you, you just uh, one day in the, the mail, you receive this new score um, with a piece dedicated to you and you're like, nice. And it's free. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So um, it can work, it, it can work and it can be also really like a, a, a nice surprise because you probably really don't know what to, what you will get, what to, what to expect. Um, so it's kind of, a, yeah, it's, a, it's really like a, being like the child opening the thing, like what is it going to be like? Um, whereas when there is a, a, a real like collaboration happening before, um, it's probably the outcome is less of a of a surprise, but um, personally, I like the idea very much to um, to exchange thoughts uh, about music, about aesthetics, about with with composers. Not saying that I want to influence them on 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 what they write. Um, sometimes it happens because. Because you have these kind of sessions where you meet and they, uh, the composers maybe ask you to, to, uh, to play something like this or something like that, or like to find out some, or looking for some sounds or possibilities of extended techniques, how to overlap certain extended techniques. Uh, and, uh, and it can, that way it can become a very kind of personal, uh, piece, which sometimes results in the, in the a challenge of how to write, how to notate it, how to write it down, especially if things kind of happen through improvisation. And then they're like, yes, exactly like that. And then you're like, uh, what did I just do? <laughs> and then uh, I think we all know this, this kind of uh, process, like you do something kind of, um, uh, and then it, it sounds great. And then, and then you're like, so how should, yeah, how would that look on paper for somebody else also to understand how to do? Uh, or even for yourself, like to kind of to reproduce it, 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 it can be very tricky. Uh, and uh, this happened a couple of times. Uh, it, there was one uh, one thing, uh, uh, one experience I had with uh, the Austrian composer Bernhard Lang, who is uh, uh, one of the, the big names in in in, in Austria. Um, and he wrote this uh, series of pieces called DW, Differenzwiederholung. Um, and uh, this this piece he wrote for me is like a concerto, it's called DW24. And that piece, there were, there were a lot of uh, sessions we had together and a lot of uh, tryouts and, and improvisation and then getting to the point of, yes, so how, how, how shall I write it? Like, what, yeah, was his question, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and especially the cadenza in this piece is, uh, is quite like this kind of left and right hand independent uh, patterns. And then 
overblowing and and kind of the tonguing is also uh, kind of not synchronized with the with the fingers etc so it uh, it's kind of this um over over like it is um superposing i don't know like different um actions and uh and and the result can also never be very, like 100% predict or predictable so it's kind of uh, there's always something like uh you don't know exactly what's going to happen uh but yeah th- we we tried somehow a way to to write it down that also somebody else would um would understand um sometimes of course nowadays it helps also when you have a recording uh maybe of the the saxophonist who who premiered the piece or or um who knew uh let's say how to how to do what to do in order to uh to receive Uh, to get the results and that can when you listen to that you can probably get a better idea of how to do it or what to do yeah is there a piece of advice you could give to people that enables us to have a long and healthy performing career it's a tricky question especially if you're asking me because i think most people know about my uh, focal dystonia that I, i suffer from already for many years actually uh it started in it's always hard to tell when when it actually when the onset was but i guess it started already 2004 or maybe 2005 uh when i i realized there was something strange in my fingers like i i felt like it wouldn't have 100% control uh about my my left hand uh the pinky and and I uh of course what I did uh probably what almost everybody would do is just practice more and uh because that's the first thing we normally think it's a lack of practice or maybe it, uh, or a wrong way or so it just you kind of try to analyze it a bit but you for yourself and try to find out what do i have to do differently in order to make it work again and then spending hours and hours and hours and it's not only the physical work but your mind is really kind of starting to focus on that um particular thing so much that you almost get obsessed with it because it's something hard to accept that we don't have full control about our um body movements and um because we have something clear normally in our mind what we want to get and then the body doesn't do it um so that was a, a very difficult uh situation for me and uh it it took probably two years to to uh, get uh, uh diagnosed uh this uh, this uh, really uh, uh unpleasant uh thing called focal dystonia um and then uh, it was good because it had a name so finally okay i have something <laughs> it's it's something that uh, it, it's not just me let's say but there's something uh, not uh, not let's say uh, yeah normal something i it maybe not my fault uh so that was the the positive thing that that thing had a name but then on the other hand uh the not so good news was that um my doctors they told me that there's nothing really uh to to cure it or there's no real therapy um for that which was not so nice to hear 
Um, that's it. In rare cases, it disappears and, and et cetera. And um, you should do more sports. You should do this and that. It can help, but we don't know. <laughs> and uh, so that, that maybe started in 2006 when I had the diagnosis. And then um, there was the option to go through a retraining program where they basically, um, but where you, it's a neurological thing, dystonia. So it's, it's not a physical thing. Um, it's basically your muscles are getting wrong information or two, maybe two, uh, different, like different information at the same time. So it's cramping or it, it just, um, does weird stuff. And it's something really difficult to, to understand why is that happening? Yeah. And um, so the retraining is trying to kind of reprogram your brain um, for those movements. But that means you have to do the movement slightly differently. Otherwise, you always fall back into the old pattern. And uh, that can be a very, very long process. I can, uh, they tell you, you cannot play concerts anymore. You have to play super slowly, like a beginner, but much slower, like really slow. And um, I thought about this idea and I, I was like, no, <laughs> I, I can't do it. It's like, especially if nobody tells you that, like nobody can guarantee you it will work. Yeah. I think if, if, if we knew that, okay, you have to go through this uh, two year or even four year process, but at the end of the journey, you will be able to play again as before or even better. Um, then maybe more people would do it. But I was not ready for that. And I, I felt like uh, to to invest so much energy and time for something that the, where the outcome is so uh, unsure. Actually, there were no cases. No, I, would, I haven't heard of any case where it was actually really successful. So I thought, mm, no, I have to somehow... Um, um, focus uh, on something else during like I have to get my mind also um, on, uh, on, on, on uh, focusing on, on something else than on, on that actual problem. Uh, so I also uh, during that time I studied art management. I wanted to get in touch with people from let's say outside the, the music world. Uh, I was always interested in interdisciplinary uh, uh, projects or, or, or um, collaborations and uh, in, the, in that program there were people philosophers and, and uh, um, architects uh, there were other musicians, musicologists um, lawyers <laughs> so it was like a very um, mixed uh, group of people and it was uh, interesting to, to talk, to meet with them and uh, yeah, to get some fresh uh, ideas about life also in general. Um, and I, I felt like it helped me also a bit uh, to, yeah, to shift the focus. And uh, I still kept playing. Uh, I took medicine. It's like a, a Parkinson medicine. And they don't use it for Parkinson disease anymore, but it was used for, for that. Uh, that's the only real thing they offer you basically for for dystonia that's what i did and i tried some botox therapy um 
which um, <laughs> you're looking great. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, also it didn't really help that much. Or it's, it's not very predictable. It's not reliable. Let's say, um, and uh, every time it can be different, and it's difficult to to um, to deal with that uncertainty and. So and and also this uh, the other medicine had a lot of side effects uh, and uh, it's, you just basically you don't feel your yourself you don't feel your own body anymore and uh, but still I did that for three four years I think uh, on and off but uh, I, I wanted to keep playing I wanted to yeah perform and um, and I did it but there was one uh, moment uh, I, I got this invitation to play a solo performance at the Marinsky Theater in, in St. Petersburg um, with a yeah very uh, classical standard program. And I realized that, um, no, I, I can't do it. Maybe I could do it, but it's more to prove myself that I can do it, that I can go on stage, I can play that repertoire. But I wouldn't be actually able to enjoy it. Because I would, a lot of the focus of my focus would be on surviving, and uh, and I realized that's not what music is about. Um, and that was the moment I, that was the first time I cancelled, uh, let's say a, a rather big uh, concert that I uh, uh, felt like no, I'm I'm I'm. I don't want to go through that. And after that, it was much easier to cancel a lot of things and, and kind of, <laughs> and, and to reduce my activity a lot. Um, and, and then I, I realized that uh, the conducting part, as, as I said before, it was always there. Um, and uh, I realized I still want to make music. I want to be um, on stage. I, I need to work with other musicians and, uh, so it was kind of a natural thing to to pick up uh, the baton. I do it mostly without, but anyway, to kind of uh, get back on that journey. Uh, it was also be already before in two thousand eight nine. I took uh, lessons with a conductor that I, uh, that I uh, admire a lot. I worked a lot with him uh, as a saxophone player, Emilio Pomarico, um, who was at that time teaching in Milano. At the Civica Scuola, it's a school that Abado uh, founded, and so I, I went to Milano maybe once a month uh, to study conducting. Uh, that was privately, and then uh, only recently I did another uh, conducting studies uh, with uh, Arturo Tamayo, a Spanish conductor, who, yeah, who, like many years ago, he was teaching in Freiburg in Germany, um, new music and conducting and a very experienced, um, conductor and a good teacher. So that was kind of the, yeah. So I felt like I still want to, you know, I, I, did, I did a lot, uh, by just doing it. And, and, uh, but I felt like I need again, somebody who's just watching me and like telling me, what are you doing? Here? And, uh, and then trying to improve. So, um, that that's what I did, and now I'm I'm very happy and lucky that I I get uh, I get to conduct, I get to be on stage, I get to to share music, and um, and uh, I still play saxophone sometimes uh, in the lessons when I feel it uh, it can help uh, the student uh, to understand something better. 
But it's mostly with the contemporary repertoire when there is maybe some kind of playing technique techniques that or some multiphonic or whatever that where it's not always so clear what how what should it sound like and and then I'm I'm trying to <laughs> to help and let's say most of the time it works. There's still I mean all the reflexes are still there. I have a clear um um, idea about the sound uh, that should come out, so it it works most of the time. But uh, no, there, but there's a yeah, there's a shift. There's a shift uh, that happened in my in my uh, career, let's say, as a musician. And uh, uh, the your question was uh, advice for a long and healthy career, and I think. Um, Dystonia is unfortunately one thing that until now it's not so clear um, what are the reasons, uh, what are the triggers for it, uh, why does it happen. And otherwise there could be a better prevention uh, happening already in, in the universities or even before. Um, they say there has to be some genetic um, disposition and and, and then uh, some other triggers uh, but uh, it's it's not so it's not so clear so it's hard to prevent it if you don't know why it happens so I guess things can happen others can be prevented um, of course we know that when we practice we should uh, we should uh, take rest uh, shorter rests maybe uh, more frequently longer rests uh, relax the body and the mind and and uh, to not spend four or five hours non-stop in a practice room um, this can possibly cause some problems later um, so uh, for myself I, I, I actually did start uh, doing more sports uh, I feel better now I feel more yeah more 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 um, comfortable and uh, it's something important for me that I discovered um, some kind of balance to the to the work that we mostly do with our mind and uh, to a certain degree also physically but but uh, yeah um, sport became a, an important thing without being obsessed with it but just uh, something I, I like to do now how important is improvising? Um, to you as a musician? Um, I'm, as I said, when I was young, I was uh, also experimenting a little bit with jazz music, so I was improvising um, in that genre. I think not very good, but I tried it, and I, I always liked it. I, I, I liked this um, kind of a little bit... Um, let's say freedom in a way and and uh, to 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 give the music a very personal um uh, uh to, to have more maybe personal uh in possibilities to to bring in your personality and and um uh whereas when we when we perform a, a piece a written piece uh it's yeah in in classical repertoire also in contemporary music we we are let's say the degree of of, of uh, interpretation is is limited let's say yeah? so we, we we try to to play or to, yeah to uh, the the score the parts as precise as possible and to understand what the composer 
wants and to yeah to 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 to, to try to uh, uh, help the piece sound the way the composer uh, intended it to be so i guess uh, there is a, a limitation um for the for the performer uh to bringing his or her own uh idea and, and approach and language also and so i think in improvisation uh that uh, has a has a much bigger um takes a much bigger place and uh, a space also and and um i i improvised uh there was a time i improvised quite a lot also with my like duo with electronics uh saxophone electronics uh we also had an improvisation group with um uh, various instruments cello cello percussion piano um that uh yeah we 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 met we we had uh rehearsals let's say or, or sessions uh and i always enjoyed that very much and i think it's it's something very important that or it should be for every musician and experience that uh, to try at least. And I, I still sometimes I'm surprised that for many classical musicians, it's something very difficult to do, like to get suddenly like to, to decide on, or, on, on what to play or like much more than maybe when they play a, um, a composition, a written piece and, uh, to, to take responsibility for, uh, uh, to play this or that note or this sound or that sound uh, is very difficult for many people. And uh, I find that a pity. And I, I, I hope also that in education and um, not only on, on conservatory university level, but also before that improvisation would uh, take a bigger, um, um, would be more important, let's say, uh, than maybe it is now. So for me personally, it's a very important thing. You know, it's very interesting. In early schooling, the focus is all on creativity. Yeah. Kids create. Yes, very young, yeah. And it's often before they get to music. Mm -hmm. And by the time they get to music, mm -hmm. the creative stuff, yes. they don't do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, not that they can't, yeah. but it's not part of their curriculum. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it, it's, for me, mm. uh, a little tragic because mm. I love that creativity that yeah. small children have. If that could flow into the beginnings of their... Totally agree. ...would be amazing. Yes. And I can't help think back, maybe we have to go back centuries, but mm. uh, music creation was done through a process of mm. improvisation yes, and then later notated or just played live, yeah. um, especially in piano. And I feel a bit that we've lost that mm. and... I like this performer-composer thing, of course, um, because it, one person can have both insights at the same time and it starts through a process of improvisation. And like you, I hope that it can be more integrated. Mm -hmm. I think part of the f difficulty is in, in an academic setting is the question of assessment. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that's why it's left out because it's just too hard to assess, too hard to judge. Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, that's so that's true. Yeah. it needs to be quantified and we can't. So mm -hmm. let's just leave it out. Yeah, yeah. It's easier that way. It's <laughs> that's easier. What they think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Now I've got a few rapid fire questions, okay. which uh, like yes, no, yes, no. no. 
<laughs> you can keep your answer to under 25 minutes uh, oh, right. per question. So I can try. <laughs> <laughs> Is there something that you believe that few people agree with? <laughs> okay, I need to prepare those questions. <laughs> uh, can we come back to that question later? <laughs> Are they all like that? <laughs> If you just had one piece of music that you could play uh, forever, nothing else, what would that be? I don't like those questions. <laughs> to make a choice for one piece, that's terrible. I, I, You make me really nervous, no, Barry. I, I, yeah, this, those are the hardest. Okay, go on. Who do you consider to be one of the most successful contributors to the saxophone? It's time up, let's <laughs> um, All of my former teachers, <laughs> I think they all, all uh, did something, uh, contributed uh, to new repertoire, new approaches, new insights, new idea. Um And then many others. I, I don't want to. I don't want to. No, I, don't, I cannot. Who, who wrote these it. questions? This is terrible. Yeah, that's really terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if we learn from our mistakes, is it okay to make mistakes? Of course. Very important. Very, very important. Um, it's. Uh, I think the fear of mistakes is also something unhealthy. We talked about healthy uh, life as a musician. Um, of course, there's a, probably a limit of <laughs> how many mistakes are kind of okay so to still to still recognize a, a piece. But um, I think uh, this this can really um, be uh, yeah uh, terribly like um, I'll create anxiety also etc. But it's important to make mistakes and, uh, and and to learn from them. And improvisation, of course, is also one tool of that because there may be no mistakes. There are things that maybe were came out. Let's say more successfully than, than than maybe something else, but but there's always uh, something good to find um, in whatever you did, and I think that's uh, yeah, definitely yes. Before you walk onto stage, what do you do that ensures that you are performing at your best? Nothing ensures that I'm performing my best. Um, I don't really have rituals. Um, I yeah well it's not a secret we I, I try as probably everybody else to be as as well prepared as possible to know the part of the score as 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 good as possible uh, to be as as confident um, as I can about what I do um, to try to stay positive think about positive things at that moment um, and not about the fear of making mistakes because I will make them for sure, but I shouldn't be afraid of it. So, um, yeah, that's basically it. With hindsight, is there a piece of advice you could give to your younger self starting out on your career that you could send back? Yes, maybe yes. Uh, the, the, the enjoy the moment. I think there was, uh, there were different, like there was, probably period in my life and and it still sometimes happen that i i think too much uh, in the future about uh, you know the next things happening and and uh, uh are coming up and not so much uh, actually living in the moment and enjoying the moment whatever it is 
that I do, uh, whether it is being on stage or, or, or being in the classroom or um, enjoying this talk with you, and uh, I am. So, uh, But that's definitely something uh, I think, uh, yeah, I could have some more enjoyable hours uh, in my life if I would. <laughs> if myself would have told me that earlier. <laughs> I started an experiment in the last couple of years, which was, which is very difficult to do. It's very anti-musician, but it was to have nothing coming up. Mm -hmm. And it's almost a musician's fear. Mm -hmm. I don't have, I don't have an engagement. Do. I've got yeah. nothing to do. What, mm -hmm. What's my purpose if I have nothing to do? Mm -hmm. But it was... An experience I wanted to feel. What's it like to have nothing to do? Mm -hmm. And then you can ask yourself the mm -hmm. question: Well, what's my purpose? Mm -hmm. And I don't think you can really either ask or answer that question without being in that state. Mm -hmm. And I've done it a number of times now, where I have nothing coming up, and it's actually an incredibly liberating yeah, feeling because then you have to ask yourself about music. Do I want to get my instrument out? Do I want to? And the answer invariably is absolutely, mm -hmm. and you do. Mm -hmm. And you're only playing music then for music's sake, mm. not as a student where you're trying to get better, yeah. not as a professional where you're preparing for your next engagement, right. but you're just playing music. Yeah. For, yeah. And, okay, I don't want to stay in that state forever. Yeah, yeah. I want some, yeah. something coming up. Yeah. But I think it's refreshing as well at, gives you a chance to cleanse yeah. and reset and do all sorts of things. Yeah. It's almost like one of those detox. Yeah, yeah. Um, you get all the pieces yeah, out right. and you're just free for a while and then you start again. Cool. But how did, you, how did you achieve that? How did you, how did you well, it? it's really easy. I'm just not very popular. <laughs> That's so <laughs> not right. <laughs> so wrong. What are some of the changes you've seen in the saxophone world? And what are some of the things that might have surprised you that have stayed the same? Well, one thing is maybe that um, because of the the, the, um, the way people are connected nowadays um, throughout the world, uh, through different medias and, and social medias and, and YouTube and everything, like knowing what's going on, I feel like there's a, a, the gap, uh, let's say, between uh, maybe more European uh, saxophone uh, and repertoire and, and American or Australian is like smaller and, and we know more about what others are doing and, and maybe there's more exchange also of repertoire nowadays there still can still can be more uh, done in that direction but that's something positive I, I find uh, also like to see how people are connected and, and uh, um, I think this is already much more the case than when I was a student. When I went to Chicago to study, I felt like for me this whole American repertoire was something really new. Uh, and um, uh, back then, like uh, Albright and, and Maslanka and uh, Balcom, and like this was all stuff I didn't know before. And um, so that's good. That's that's great. I think there's uh, more like yeah, more more interaction um, happening. And something that stays the same, that surprises me, I don't know. Um, maybe, but I mean, that's not, maybe there are still s surprisingly many saxophone players that uh, 
don't have a clear idea, artistic idea about what they want to do uh, in their life or as a musician or as a saxophonist. I feel like they, they, they study. Most of them are still students, so they study the, the repertoire that they've been told to study. Um, and some of them are great players. But I feel that often there's a lack of um, artistic vision or uh, like uh, a clear idea about what 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 can they do, what they really want to do with their skills and and uh, uh, on the saxophone or generally as a musician. And and I find it a pity to see sometimes that uh, some of those really good and strong young young players and maybe some even won some of the big competitions they some of them disappear kind of a bit from the screen and um, I don't know what they do now maybe they're really happy with what they do and and, and good at what they do but it feels like um, maybe sometimes a bit a lack of yeah art, artistic um, vision yeah. is there something you've been working on lately that you would like to share not in public. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. There's no video here. <laughs> Some new tattoos. Or <laughs> and where can people find more about your activities? Um, <laughs> Not those kind I'm, of activities. I'm trying to reduce my social media activities. So I'm still on Facebook, but it's uh, I'm, I'm less active now than, uh, than I used to be. Uh, I just can I ask why? Um, yeah, it's also um, time wise. I want to spend less time uh, on on that media. I, I feel like uh, I have plenty of things to do uh, for myself. Um, and uh, again, maybe that there's a time I, I want to focus more on myself. What I do, what I, I feel like I need to do, and less less about um, like. Um, sharing what I do with others or or looking at what they do uh, sometimes I do but I says uh, yeah that's the main motivation I think um, when there's something super important I post it don't worry I, it will be it will be it will be there but um, you know I've it was probably a few years ago but I live a notification free lifestyle I don't know if that's a thing <laughs> Okay. But I found that if you turn off notifications yeah. and you choose when you look, ah, it, okay. it, it changes your day. You're not interrupted for one. Right. And making a choice is a powerful thing yeah, as right. opposed to having something essentially forced upon you. Right, yeah. So I turned off all notifications mm -hmm. and it's incredibly frustrating for people who want to contact me right? <laughs> because I don't respond. Uh -huh. um, not because... I don't want to respond right. because I haven't yeah. read the message and yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I cut down, I guess, all sorts of things. Uh, I would start batch processing things, mm -hmm. respond to emails mm -hmm. in a session as opposed to instantly. And mm -hmm. I know people expect instant responses now, but I, I think there's an unhealthy aspect of that, totally true. Yeah. which especially when you're practicing, you, you've got to just stay in the moment yeah. for hours sometimes with small breaks yeah. Um, and yeah the constant interruption I yeah. couldn't do it and I have tried occasionally at an event like we're at here at the World Saxophone Congress mm -hmm. I need to be contactable right at yeah. this moment yeah. and it's been really strange having my phone dinging again um, mm -hmm. and looking down and mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as everyone else is and I I don't like it 
it's useful at the moment. Right. But not to live not every day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. So hopefully yeah. after the World Saxophone Congress. <laughs> Again. <laughs> if you don't hear me from me for a while. <laughs> uh, finally, you've made an incredible contribution to music. What do you see for yourself over the next 10 or 20 years? Hmm. Um, well, this, uh, this new pathway to conducting is definitely something I, I like to, um, to, to get more experience and, and explore new repertoire. And uh, there are some dreams uh, to conduct, I don't know, once a nice, uh, one of the Mahler symphonies with a nice orchestra. But there are some things I, I hope to be able to do in the future. Um, but the most important is um, keep like sharing uh, the love I have for music and the passion, whether it's through teaching or, or being on stage. Um, that's something that hopefully will, will go on. Um, other than that, I'm, I'm quite happy. Now, I haven't forgotten. You did say, could I come back to this? Um. <laughs> so, is there something that you believe that few people agree with? But I'll write you on Facebook. I'll write you a note. When, when I <laughs> come up with something, <laughs> you may not read it. But uh, The question I ask about who has been a big contributor to the saxophone, mm. your name comes up when I ask people this question. So you're making a big uh, impact on the people that you meet. And I'd really like to thank you for the time to talk with me today. And I wish you the best for your concerts coming up in the next few days. Thank you so much. And you're a big contributor as well. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Lars. Just before you go, a quick reminder to let you know that show notes, any links, and a full text transcript are also available. It would mean a lot to me if you could leave a review for the show by visiting barrysacks.com forward slash iTunes. You can subscribe for a new episode each week. And thanks again for joining me and my guests on Barry Zach's show.